If you've got your Bibles, I want to turn to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 4. This is Paul talking to perhaps the greatest of his supporters. The church at Philippi was a church that, although they didn't have a lot of money, they supported Paul in his missionary journeys, and he was very, very, very grateful for that. And he used them as an example to the other churches of how a generous giving church should be. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 4, he says this. He says, If others think they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Uh, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow obtain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. I had a lot of time uh, on my hands when you're at home uh, recovering for eight weeks, and so one of the things that I did was I watched a couple of um, films. And I don't know whether you know it, but this year the film with the most Oscar nominations and the one that won the most awards of all of the films uh, for this year was a musical called La La Land. Now, <clears throat> in my opinion, it's not as good as the Lloyd Webber stuff. But it was interesting. It's about a wannabe actress and a jazz pianist who, at the beginning of the film, fall in love, and they are pursuing their dreams. And the actress, she wants to be successful. Up to this point, she hasn't had any parts, and uh, things aren't going too great. And the jazz pianist, he's just working in... Uh, odd things on, in the evening to try and support himself, but his dream is to open a, um, a jazz club. As the, we get to the end of the movie, they actually fulfill their dreams. She becomes a famous actress. He opens a fantastic jazz club. But in the 
pursuit of their dreams, they go their separate ways. And they basically miss the love of their lives. In fact, in a poignant scene uh, right at the very end, uh, there's a monochrome sequence where the director shows us what their lives would have been like if they had made different choices and they had continued to do life together. Now, I'm one of these guys who, when boy meets girl, I like a happy ending. And I get to the end of this musical and I've got this big, huge knot in my gut and I'm thinking, oh no, why did it have to end like that? It completely spoiled my day. And as, as, I was, as I was thinking about this, I was thinking, well, why am I so upset? Why has this stupid little musical really impacted me so much? And immediately the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, the way that you are feeling, Don, is the way that I feel when people pursue their own agendas and miss the plans and the priorities that I, the Holy Spirit, have for them. One of the challenges that we have as Christians after we've been born again is to build a God-glorifying lifestyle devoted to Jesus Christ. Heaven functions differently to earth. And the kingdom of heaven functions differently and has different values, has different culture than the world and its system. And that's why Jesus told us to pray, God, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. There has to be a difference in the way that we live and the values that we have and the priorities that we have in life and our focus after we give our lives to Jesus Christ compared to before. Now, when you build something, often we need to deconstruct, we need to pull down and clear stuff out before we can actually construct and build up. I know when we built our house nearly eight years ago, the first thing we had to do was sort the section out. We had to remove a whole pile of stuff, we brought stuff in, we had to flatten out the building site, we had to prepare for the building process. And as a Christian, we need to, when we come to Christ, and we continually need to each day, pull down, get rid of old ways, old thought patterns, old priorities, and replace them with godly values, with godly ways and godly priorities. And that's a lifetime, it's a lifetime process of recognizing, rejecting, and replacing. But chief in the building process is vision. You can't get a building permit without a plan. You can't start building unless you've got an idea of what you're trying to build. If Martin was going to build a house, he'd have to have a plan, he'd have to have an idea in his mind what that house was going to look like 
before he started. Otherwise, he wouldn't have a hope of completing uh, the house with, with any perfection. The Apostle Paul, in the passage that we just read, is very, very clear about what he wants to do. He, in life, wants to know Jesus Christ in an ever-increasing manner. That's his goal. That's his focus. That's his dream. That's his passion. That's his priority. And he says, this one thing I do, forgetting what's past, I press on to fulfill the dream. In other words, for him, pressing on, he was going to keep on doing what he had been doing because what he had been doing continually led him into an ever-increasing intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, we aren't like the Apostle Paul. I don't think many of us have had the same encounters with God as the Apostle Paul had. I mean, he was taken up into heaven. Uh, He says he doesn't know whether it was actual in his body or whether it was just vision, but it was so real. And when he got there, he saw things and heard things that it was impossible for him to convey. They were just so amazing, he couldn't even talk about it. We aren't like that, but the same principles of focus and priority are true for us as they were for the Apostle Paul. And all through the word from the beginning of the Old Testament to the end of the New Testament, it's plain that we were created to know God. And we are created to experience His person and His presence in our lives. Before sin came into the world, Adam walked with God daily. And we're told by Moses, we're told by Jesus, that the number one thing that God asks us to do is to love Him with everything that we've got. To love Him with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. But the reality is we can't love God like that unless we know Him. And the problem is, sometimes... We settle for knowing about God instead of pursuing and encountering Him for ourselves. Most of you would know a little bit about Queen Elizabeth II. She was born, anyone know when she was born? 21st of April, 1926. Her coronation was in 1953. I remember that because that was the year I was born. Work it out. I know a little bit about the Queen. In fact, I've been to her house, as a number of you have done. We've stood outside her gates, and if you're lucky, you went on a tour through it. But knowing about the Queen and personally knowing her are two different things. Knowing about God and knowing Him personally are different things. That's the problem that the Pharisees had and the religious leaders of Jesus' time. They knew a lot about God 
and the Word of God, but they had never encountered the God of the Word. Jesus said to them in John 5, 39, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you possess eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. Revelation from the Word of God is supposed to lead us to encounter the God of the Word. The Pharisees had settled for doctrine, they had settled for concepts about God, above an encounter with God. The difference between religion and relationship is an encounter. And so the religious leaders' hearts weren't changed because change happens in God's presence. Change happens when we encounter Him. Change doesn't happen when we do stuff for God. As good as that is, and as much as that is required, change only happens when we spend time in God, in His presence. And we've been made to experience His person and experience His presence, and anything outside of that, we sell ourselves short. What changed the Apostle Paul from being a murderous persecutor of Christians to a zealous, fervent supporter of Christians and Jesus Christ, person who wrote more than half of the New Testament? The thing that changed him was an encounter with Jesus Christ. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. What changed me at university from knowing about God to loving Him was an encounter with Jesus Christ. You see, we've been designed to live not with theory about God and His plans and purposes for us, but with an ever-increasing breakthrough in our lives, with an ever-increasing sense of His manifest presence and power and person of God with us each day. He's called Emmanuel, which means God with us. And if God is with us, not only can we know Him, but we can grow in that knowledge, in that experience of Him and His love. Some of you may ask, well, aren't we always in God's presence? Well, uh, in one sense, yes, we are. But there are different levels of the experiences of God's manifest presence. First of all, God is omnipresent, which means He's everywhere. And everyone, whether they are Christian or not, are near Him. His power is ever-present in sustaining and governing all things. And I think as a scientist, I think as we delve down into the makeup of the cells at an atomic level, we're going to find that the thing that actually holds everything together is God, is the Holy Spirit. But people who don't know God don't experience His presence even though He's near, or they don't recognize it even though He's near. That's one level. When we're born again of the Spirit of God, His Holy Spirit comes in 
and resides within us. Scripture tells us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead quickens our body. And he's always present with us. Matthew 28, 20, Jesus said, Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's another level of us experiencing his manifold presence. But then in Matthew 18, verse 20, it says, For where two or three come together in my name, there am I with them. Now, if I've already got the Holy Spirit with me, Why do I have to be in harmony with you for the presence of God to show up? Well, God is inviting us into another level of his manifest presence. There is a corporate manifestation of the presence of God that happens when God's people get together. And we need a passion for the increased manifestation of the presence of God in our lives. And there's more. There's more. Uh, Acts 9 tells us that when Paul was traveling to uh, Damascus, he, the presence of Jesus was so strong on the road that he fell to the ground. In fact, the light of the presence of Jesus was so intense that it actually blinded him. It's interesting that in heaven... The light of the presence of God is so bright they don't need a sun because they've got the sun. And you'll find that there was light, when you go back to Genesis, there was light in the whole universe before God created the sun. I want to suggest that was the light of his presence. Let's do some research on that one. I haven't experienced that intensity of the light of God or the presence of God yet, but I'm pursuing him for more. How much more can we get? I don't know. But I know it's more than what we're experiencing uh, right now. Uh, We need a passion for God's presence. Exodus 33 tells us that when Moses was meeting with God on Mount Sinai, the people of Israel uh, got into idolatry. They were just having one big party and they started worshipping a golden calf. God was so mad with them. He said to Moses, Okay, you stiff-necked people. I mean, God doesn't swear, but that's getting, as far, that's getting out there as far as um, God is concerned. He said, Okay, you stiff-necked people, you can still have all the things that I promised you. You can still have the promised land. You can still have that blessing but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel instead. I find that it's so easy to settle for the promises of God rather than pursuing the person and the presence of God. And we fail to recognize that the promises are actually held in the person. In Matthew, Jesus said, "Now, if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all the other things are going to be added. The problem is we tend to seek first all the other things and tack Jesus in on the end. Moses, who is called a friend of God, 
says to God, if your presence doesn't go up with us, don't send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I'll do the very thing you've asked because I am pleased with you and I know you by name. In other words, what, what he was saying is, what's different about us if it's not the presence of God? What's different about this church from the RSA up the road? Is it the liquid that they serve after the meeting? What's different? What marks us out? If it's not God's presence, if it's not God with us, there's no difference. You see, it's not about healing. It's not about signs and wonders. It's not about provision. It's not about God meeting our needs. It's all about Jesus. It's about the one who loved us so much that he died for us. It's all about him. And we need to have an increasing passion for his self and his presence. And we need more encounters with him. So how do we grow? How do we go grow closer to the Lord? How do we have more encounters with Jesus, more experience of his presence in an ever-increasing way? How do we get to know him better? Well, sometimes we experience the sovereign intervention of God without us doing anything. I say without us doing anything, but really, I mean, 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, The eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the whole earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his, so that if you're a Christian, you can expect God looking for opportunities to bless you, looking for opportunities to intervene on your behalf, looking for opportunities to support you and lift you up. A couple of years ago, I was driving down Western Hills Drive, Penny in the car, when I yelled out to Penny, the ball's in the hole. The ball's in the hole. I think she thought I'd lost it. But the reality was I was having an open-eyed vision from God. And it's pretty hard to concentrate on your driving when you're seeing a separate scene right in front of you. It was actually incredibly amazing. 22 years earlier, I had a dream which had basically defined our ministry up here. But that dream, 22 years ago, had finished with me standing over a golf ball on a, on a hole and lifting my putter up as I was preparing to knock that ball in for a birdie. And as I brought the putter down, I woke up. And I never saw whether that was completed. In this open-eyed vision, there I was standing on the green. There I was, same thing. I'm bringing my putter back 
and I went through with it and the ball went into the hole for a birdie. And I knew that God was saying that we, together with him, had built a church of significance. It wasn't, any, it wasn't just any hole. In fact, when I had that dream, I wasn't a golfer. I hadn't played golf in 40-something years. When I saw the ball go into the hole, I knew that God was saying that we had completed a phase that he had called us up here to do, that we had built a church of significance that was impacting our community. But I, as well as praising God for that vision, I also recognized that it was the end of an era and a new wineskin and a new season would start. Little did I know that six months later, Crossroads would finish and Church Unlimited Whangarei would start. God had it all in his plans and purposes. But it was an encounter that I hadn't done anything to prompt. And it was absolutely amazing. I was buzzing, buzzing, buzzing for hours after that. Most often, encounters happen as we take steps closer to God. Key scripture, James chapter 4 verse 8, says this. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. I think that's one of the most amazing promises in the Word of God. That if we would draw near to Him, He will draw near to us. There are three ways that I discipline myself to move closer to God. And they all take time. They all take priority time. I move closer to God through prayer through meditating on God's Word, and through worship. So this morning, I want to finish by talking a little bit about worship. Psalm 22 tells us that if I lift up praise to God, He inhabits my praise, and He's enthroned in my praise. And in other words, it's an expression, another expression Another level of his manifest presence. When I worship him at home, I experience his presence. I could be walking down the garden, and uh, I think back to some of those hymns that I used to sing in Sunday school. One of my favorites is, Praise my soul, the King of heaven. To his feet thy tribute bring. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. I I can just start crying just by saying that. Because I sense the presence of God and I sense Him come down. I could be walking down by the Fijoas and I'll be singing that or humming that to myself and then suddenly the presence of God will come. And oh, it just draws you in. It just draws you into another level. Whether I'm on my bed singing songs, whether I'm soaking in the bath, it happens. It happens. God's presence comes down. And I go to another level. And I want more of Him. And I want more of that. At church, during our collective worship, there is the possibility of even greater experience with God. And I say possibility because it depends on your focus and your preparedness 
of your heart, you can be in the midst of an encounter with God and not even know it. When God was speaking to Jesus, there was a whole crowd around about him. He was saying, this is my beloved son of whom I am well pleased. And the disciples heard it and Jesus heard it, but people around about in the crowd, they record, some said it thundered. They were in the midst of God speaking to them and they missed it because they didn't have ears to hear. I was thrilled, by the way, by all of the testimonies that people told us about of God encounters at New Zealand and Beyond Conference. You know, if you go with a hungry heart, you can't help but go to a conference like that where you've got 3,000 people and not have God encounters. I know Pam and others, uh, they came back raving about how God had just touched them. And that's what happens when two or three or more get together. There's the possibility of receiving more or experiencing more of the manifest presence of God. When it comes to worship, I, I have an advantage over most of you. And it's not my voice. But on a Sunday, uh, Penny and I get to church, 8 o'clock, quarter past 8. So I do all the things that I need to do. And then I go into my room and I shut the door. And I can just still my heart. And I can prepare my heart. And I can just experience God in that room. So that when I come out at 10 o'clock when the music team starts, I'm ready. I'm ready to experience God. Now, I know that that can't be a possibility for many of you with a whole bunch of kids that can wipe out the best of plans. But I want to encourage you. Come to church 10 minutes early. Just sit down. Just prepare your heart. Just get ready to meet with God. And you will be surprised at the difference it makes. It's not the worship team playing better, but it's your heart being ready to receive. You see, Psalm 100 verse 4 says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. There is a progression. God is a God of order. Order. We come in with thanksgiving in our hearts first. Uh, that's through the gates. Then we come into his courts as we praise and worship him. And then he leads us into the intimacies of his holiest of holy where his presence is. And we can get caught up with that. You'll be amazed the difference it'll make as we take that progression. Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all of my fears. The deliverance of the psalmist from his fears was a direct result of magnifying, of lifting up God. I want the musicians to come. I just want to talk about that word magnify. See, magnify means to to make big. And there are a number of meanings of the word. But basically, the thought is, how can you magnify God? How can you make him any bigger than he already is? We can't. We can't make him bigger, but we can make him bigger from our perspective. 
Growing up in West Auckland, my father uh, was really keen on photography. And this is back in the days before there was uh, color film and everything else. Dad built at the back of our garage a dark room where he would take the film that he had uh, taken and he would uh, process the film and then he would um, print it out and he would create photos of A4 size from tiny little strips of photographic negatives. And the way he did that was he had an enlarger. And he would put the photographic negative into the enlarger and he would turn, turn it on and he would burn the image onto the contact paper. Dad used to take it a step further because he would take the black and white print and he was actually quite a brilliant artist and he would watercolour, he would uh, oil colour that photographic print. And so I've got coloured prints of myself as a child that Dad had painted through the photographic paper. I remember as I was getting older into my teens that uh, Dad no longer used the enlarger and being a type of inquisitive kid, I pulled it to pieces. And you know what I found? I found two enormous magnifying glasses. They were about this big. Well, any kid with a magnifying glass will know that's fun. Because on a sunny, sunny day, I could take that magnifying glass out and I could burn stuff. I could burn paper. I could burn straw. I could, I could burn ants. They, they pop. And I know you're laughing because a number of you have done it too. But the reality is, as I was concentrating the rays of the sun with this big magnifying glass, the sun was already there. What I did with the magnifying glass was to give it a focused place of contact. And when we praise God, especially in the middle of difficulty, or tragedy, or conflict, or disappointment. We give Him a place of focused contact into the situation, which results in overcoming victory, because in God's presence, everything changes. Praise and worship results in an increased manifestation of the presence of God in our situation. And God gives us an invitation to experience a greater level of His presence. We just have to want to. We just have to take that step. We just need to say, God, I want to know You. I'm going to praise You even though I don't feel like praising You. And I know that as I do, there will be focused contact into my situation, into my circumstances. The Apostle Paul says, I want to know Christ. This one thing I do. I wonder 
What one thing can you do to move you one step closer to God? Why don't you stand with me? I exalt you. For 